Hello, all you outstanding orcas out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts, Casey, and I am here with the outstanding Sarah. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hey, um, I, I have some sad news to report. Oh, no. I think that my beach dune sunflower is dead. Oh, no. For you guys who are following along, Sarah planted a native sunflower like a year yard. ago. Yeah. Um, as response to one of our challenges here, too. And oh, well, that's a bummer. But you know what? Here. OK, here's here's my positive spin on it, because uh, I talk to people about houseplants so much of my day at work <laughs> and I really do think that we need to be comfortable approaching gardening as like a learning experience and like failure is part of the scientific process I suppose and I don't think you should consider this a failure I think you kept it alive for a full year and that's pretty exciting I just, it's frustrating because I don't know what happened. Like, I noticed that it seemed like it was fading a little bit, but then I also read that sometimes it will die back in the winter, and I trimmed off the, you know, the really, like, just sticks that were there, and there were still some flowers blooming, and I was like, okay, I think it's going to be good. I think it's recovered, and then the other day, as I was pulling in the driveway, I was like, no, I think it's gone. (laughs) So I yeah, wish I, I knew so then I could learn for the next time around. The, sure. My positive spin on it is that there is another big plant sale. This one's a couple hours away, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get to go, but it's over Earth Day weekend, so I might go. And I also do have a native plant nursery closer to home that I found out too. So I can, you know, I can try again with something else. Yeah. And that's fun, I suppose. Yeah, a bunch of my native plants um, got trampled this week by the folks doing our new oh. roof. So, but we'll see because here, at least in the north, and this is why I'm not 100% consigned to failure for your sunflower either, is they do die back during the dormant time. And so I'm like, well, we'll find out in a couple months because mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, it normally takes, you know, until May or June for some of these natives to pop back up out of the ground we'll see if they survived um the many boots <laughs> and ladders that were on them good luck thank you thank you how are you this week pregnant i'm real pregnant yeah. Yeah. it is uncomfortable but okay i'm doing okay you are coming down to the last week of your your easter lent carbon fast Mm -hmm. what was the challenge for this week this is a tough one for me because you're supposed to i don't remember how it's worded exactly but you're supposed to avoid driving as as Uh, much as possible so walking or using public transportation is just not an option for me unfortunately like it's literally not an option there is no public transportation to where i need to go but i was going to try to just minimize my driving like only go out absolutely basically go to work and come home and not do anything which is not that different from my normal life (laughs) but I that's not even gonna happen this week because I'm going out of town next week so I my list of things that I need to get done has expanded greatly (laughs) so unfortunately I'm, I'm not really participating in this week I may continue on with a couple of things from previous weeks to round it out though yeah, I think that that's a good way to go. It's like challenges for our podcast, too, is sometimes mm-hmm. it's not going to fit in with your life that week, but you can do it other times. Yeah. 
All right, Casey, this week is uh, maybe going to be a tough one for us. We're going to be talking about something that is very nuanced and complicated and can be very sort of has a strong emotional component to it as well. Probably something that you've been seeing in the headlines recently. You may have heard about Tokite or Toki or Lolita. Many names we'll discuss an orca, also known as killer whales, that the company that owns her, I guess, is saying that they are going to be returning her to the wild. We're going to talk more about that in our main discussion, but my question to sort of get us started this week is, have you ever seen an orca in human care or in the wild? Oh gosh, in the wild would be so cool. <laughs> be so cool. So cool. Um, No, I, I, yes, I have seen them in human care. It was a long time ago. We went to SeaWorld and I mean, I would, I've always been an animal kid. So getting to see dolphins and orcas up close was so cool. Having been removed from that, like 20 years since I've last seen them, I'm like at this point missing like the scale basically. Like when I was reading about how big they are, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so huge. And I must've had the same impression seeing them in person, but I have now like that, that part of the memory has sort of glossed away but I do remember it being very cool yeah I I have also seen them under human care at SeaWorld for me it's been maybe seven years though now actually since I've been which even then is long enough for me to lose a little bit of of my memory and I don't know that we ever actually went and saw them up close when we were there. I don't there. think so either. Yeah, I think I was just in the show stands. Yeah, but we did go to the show and since the time that you were there and the time that I was last in between our two visits that SeaWorld changed the way that they were doing their shows and all of those things. But what I remember was very interesting about the one that I went to was the orcas chose not to participate they were like (laughs) nope we are gonna explore back here and they did a fantastic job they really did the trainers they didn't just say sorry everybody you can go they were talking about what was going on and they were talking about training and enrichment and all of those things and a little bit about the whales themselves and so for me as somebody who sparked in animal care and conservation education I really appreciated that aspect of it. So that's what stuck out the most to me. I'm also pretty sure that I went to see them as a kid, but I have no actual memory of that experience. So it is something that can be impactful for a lot of people, but there's a whole host of things that go along with keeping orcas in human care as well. We're going to be touching on some of that. We're going to be talking about what is going on with the situation with Toki. And like we said, there's a lot to this discussion, a lot more than we could cover in an hour-long podcast, but we're going to do our best to do this justice as much as we can. So stick around for that discussion. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode, another discussion today. This is not the episode that we had initially planned on doing for this week, but 
as I was sitting down to work on that episode, I just kept seeing these headlines. There were sort of just an explosion of headlines in the news that I kept coming across on this decision to release an orca with a lot of names <laughs> from the Miami Seaquarium back to the Eastern Pacific Ocean. So I think that I will probably be referring to her most as Toki. My understanding from the reading that I was doing was Tokite is the name that she was initially given prior to arriving where she lives now at the Miami Seaquarium, often referred to as Toki by the people that care for her. And Lolita is, I guess, like her stage name quote unquote, is the best that I could figure out. Uh, so probably Toki is what I will be going with. So she was removed from the Eastern Pacific Ocean over 50 years ago. And so now this commitment has been made to return her to that area. So Casey, my first question for you is just, did you have an initial reaction to hearing this news and reading those headlines? Reading the head, well, okay. So just to let you know, like coming up to this episode, I have been like frantically just doing superficial research all afternoon, making sure that I felt prepared, and I like even poured myself a little coffee to make sure that, I, like, that's kind of how how emotionally sensitive that I think that this topic is for not just me, but like so many people, and uh, and so my initial reaction to it was a sense of dread not because of the actual situation but even just the headlines have an opinion within them yes that are like very emotionally evocative like when you see the headlines they're like you know orca finally freed back into her home and and using a lot of emotional language that i i knew that this this situation is more complicated than what i think that a lot of people were feeling was just like a good feel good piece so that's i have approached this topic with some apprehension and skepticism because uh, of what i know about this <laughs> yeah i i agree that so skepticism and uncertainty were the words that i used and yes i share that to I think I didn't really think about it until you said it but yeah just the so I have feelings about the situation but then I also have feelings about all of the discussions that I know are going to come from the situation and it is a very hard th that's for who I am as a person that's just a very hard thing and also because as with many things I often find myself agreeing with different quote unquote sides on different things. And that's a, a very sort of hard place to be into. So we'll we'll get into all of that. I do want to give some disclaimers as well. We just talked about our experiences at SeaWorld, different place. They're not associated. They're not the same thing. I have never been to the Miami Seaquarium ever. I, I don't really know anything about it. I I personally never studied cetaceans, which is what whales are, uh, dolphins and whales. I've never participated hands-on in the care for any cetaceans. Uh, and I have very, like, no experience with orcas whatsoever. A little bit more with dolphins 
just from an education side, but never any sort of hands-on care. I've never studied any really marine mammal, marine biology, uh, anything like that. And I think that's a really important distinction uh, and disclaimer to make right off the bat. And we are absolutely going to talk about the sort of animal rights, animal welfare, some of the bigger questions around keeping these animals in human care. I think that's an important part of this discussion. But I also do specifically want to make sure that we're talking about what is going on in this particular situation, because there are several things related to Toki's situation in particular that I feel like are really important to understand uh, as you are hearing this news and trying to figure out what's going on. All of that said, we've said orcas, killer whales, you may be familiar with those names. We want to do a quick background on what this animal is that we're talking about. I feel like, Casey, probably the two major touch points for people, non-animal people, uh, as well as animal people, honestly, when they think of orcas or killer whales, one might be free willy, yeah. Did you watch that movie as a kid? I've never watched never Free Willy. Watched I, I don't know that I can recommend it. I watched it as a kid and I think I liked it as a kid. I feel like it's one of those movies that I would not be able to handle <laughs> as an adult now. So. Fair enough. I feel like my when people ask me if I've seen a movie, all of the movies I've seen or whatever my parents put in the D- sure. like VHS player. So that's that's... I have never seen Free Willy, and I think there are sequels, and I've never seen those either. But do you have a visual that comes to mind? Like, have you seen? There's like, a the... boy, and yep. he's with yeah. the yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, he's with the whale. The whales <laughs> jump in, yeah, yep. So I think a lot of people know that, and then of course there's Shamu, which is associated with Sea World. But so these are large animals. They're the so you can imagine these big whales are mostly black on top uh, with some white spots around their eyes and kind of further down on their back. Large animals. Some can reach over 30 feet long. They can weigh up to 11 tons. So just large, large whales. They are, in fact, apex predators in their habitat. So our friend Kristen actually texted me this article that I was familiar with a couple weeks ago about how great white sharks are disappearing from the Mm. southern tip of Africa. Um, And originally it was sort of a mystery of what was going on because they were showing up basically like dead without their livers. What you should know about sharks is like the livers, like a third of their body. So it's not just like one little precision cut. But it turns out there's like two orcas, port and starboard, who are out there just serial killing (laughs) these great white sharks the liver tends to be the most nutritious part of the body for them but they are so smart that they've figured out how to hunt these particular types of prey that are also ginormous and also considered like to a certain extent apex predators in their own regard they are now like all the sharks are like we're getting out of here this is this is not cool i'm so glad you brought that up i saw that article as well, but I did not read it. So yes, thank you for mentioning it. And yeah, that gives you some idea of how big and strong and amazing these animals are. They are found in oceans worldwide. They are most abundant in cooler waters, but they are also found in tropical and subtropical waters. So they are found worldwide, but we're going to zero in now on the North Pacific. Within the North Pacific, there are three groups, basically, what are referred to as three ecotypes. There's offshore whales, transient whales, and then resident whales. So that has to do with kind of their 
I don't habitat's the wrong range, I guess, and yeah, kind of the way they general move about. location yeah. and and how they utilize their habitat. Yes, and those three ecotypes do differ slightly in their appearance, behavior, and diet. I should mention I am getting most of this sort of background information from our old favorites, Noah. Noah. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what it stands nope, for. No, we're not. I didn't write it down again this time, but the links will all be in the show notes as well. Within those ecotypes, we are going to now zero in on the residents. So residents live in large groups, generally speaking, from California up to Russia. They eat primarily salmon, which is important to know. Chinook salmon in particular. This is currently a challenge for southern residents in particular. I'm getting ahead of myself there, but for their population, the amount of food availability is a challenge for them. So there are actually then subsets of resident whales, which I just sort of gave away. There are southern residents, there are northern residents, there are southern Alaska residents, and there are western Alaska North Pacific residents. So those are all different populations within that resident ecotype. And the one that we're going to focus in on once again tonight is the southern resident ecotype. This population of orcas is considered to be endangered. I believe 72 is the current count. That sounds about right. Somewhere in there. Yeah. And then like I just was mentioning, this particular group prefers Chinook salmon. Like that's really their main diet. And so that is one of the factors that is currently threatening their population in the wild. Yeah. Uh, So as you mentioned, they're endangered. So NOAA and uh, other government agencies have been studying their populations of orcas in general. And in the United States, they have seen transient populations decline, but specifically Southern resident orcas are considered endangered. They have like an endangered species recovery plan that they're trying to enact. Like they're fully considered an endangered species. There used to be more of them, which we'll talk about, I think in a little bit, which has to do with how Toki actually ended up where she is, but they are threatened by a lot of things out where they live. I think they live in like the Salish Sea and the the Puget Sound. Does that sound right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to eat. We're just sorting back in our brains through yes. all of the things that we read. That we've just like consumed in the last week. And so they're really important to the human population in there. Like indigenous folks have a really close mm-hmm. uh, relationship with them in their culture. Um, whale watching is really popular there. And you've probably seen them in the news um, there's like three pods that are left of them. Like the J pod was in the news a lot because one of the females was pushing around her dead calf for a while. That was like a big news story. And so a few years back, right? a few years yeah. back. Yeah. Um. So I feel like even the Southern residents are something that people who are aware of what's going on at all out in the wild with orcas probably connect specifically with this tiny group, right. this like 75 ish member group of orcas yeah and that that's a really good point and i sh- will just go ahead and mention we'll come back to this later but toki is actually officially now considered part of this group so back in 2015 she was given that protection 
specifically included in this population uh, of endangered southern residents this is the area that she was taken from and so based on not only what is known about her being taken but also now dna as well they were able to officially classify her in this group so we'll come back to that more too. Uh, just real quick, going back to our three ecotypes, we'll just mention that our transient whales tend to live in smaller groups throughout coastal North, North Pacific. There's more variety in their diet. They'll eat things including squid and seals and sea lions and smaller dolphins. And then our offshore population is generally smaller in size. They have the widest range. They can be found up to nine miles offshore. They'll eat a variety of fish, including sharks. And then, there, of course, there are, like we said, other populations around the world as well. We were just focusing in there on the North Pacific, where Toki is from. Another thing to know about orcas is that they are social animals. They'll live in pods that can range anywhere from as few as two all the way up to 15, or I think I even saw 20 uh, other listed as as a number of other places uh they will occasionally also come together to form for for larger uh, gatherings especially thinking you know looking for mate that sort of thing big feeding area uh, and they oftentimes will tend to stay in the pods that they are born in for their entire life. Pod members will communicate with each other under throughout underwater sounds such as clicks, whistles, and pulsed calls. And each pod in the Pacific Northwest possesses a unique set of sounds that are learned and culturally transmitted among individuals. And those sounds are just sort of like... I don't, contact calls isn't really the phrase that I'm looking for either, but they help to kind of keep the group together. Noah describes it as family badges. Oh, that's cute. I wonder yeah. if it's like not different languages, maybe, but accents like that yeah, like each yeah, group maybe. has. Different dialects. Yes. They're known for their teamwork. So you may have also seen videos of like whales in the Arctic working together to get the seal off of the iceberg, um, things like that. So these are also really intelligent animals mm -hmm. that use this social system to track down prey that is larger than them or inaccessible to them individually and be able to feed the whole pod. So they're pretty cool. They're very cool. They're kind of scary. Um, I remember <laughs> I had like this little magazine when I was a kid. It was basically a zoo book, but smaller. And uh, and it had the diagram of the whales like floating the iceberg to get the seal off of it. And I remember being like, that is so scary. <laughs> right. Um, but very cool. Like it's uh, it's sort of unmatched as far as animal cooperation goes. One last sort of piece of background that I feel like is a good one to have when you're talking about this is that according to NOAA, the average lifespan for male killer whales is about 30 years, but they can live up to at least 60 years. And females will typically live about 50 years, but can live up to at least 90 years in the wild. That is how they state it on their website. So you can see that there's a lot of range there, a lot of variety it can be tough for longer lived animals, especially ones that are living underwater sometimes to be able to narrow down something that you might think would be simple to get in terms of a lifespan, but it can vary for populations as well. And I mean, when you think about it, what's the lifespan for a human? You know, what we say our average lifespan is going to be very different than the maximum that we can live. 
And I say all that because this does come into play sometimes when we do talk about orcas in human care. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about it in a second. But I want to say I'm very passionate about accurately talking about life expectancy Mm -hmm. in wild animals. it can be abused. Yes, because whatever sort of, you can use so many different numbers to classify it and you can use it to say what ever you want. Um, So I did look up some research papers on this specifically because I wanted to know I was having trouble finding original sources for things. Um, So we'll talk about it when we talk about Toki's age. So let's jump in at least quickly to talking about orcas in human care. We've already said that this is a big topic for people. People feel very passionate about this. And as far as I'm concerned, yes, there's fact-based information that needs to be considered in this discussion there is it's just also sort of a moral and an ethical there's a big emotional component to this as well basically those those things that we just talked about case you were talking about their intelligence we talk about their how social they are how they communicate how they work together how big they are There are people that feel just based on those things that orcas should not be kept in human care. We've already talked about how SeaWorld in recent year has has kind of changed how they present the orcas. This is, a, you know what I mean? Yeah, like when, they... when I was a kid, when I saw the Shamu show, it was like maybe about a princess or something. Like it was a sort of storytelling, fantasy-based mm-hmm. entertainment show. And it sounds like when you saw it, it became more of a animal behavior explanation, probably partially because they weren't participating, but I bet you that was a core of what they were talking about when it went successfully. Right. And a lot of that is, I think, based on the public perception and the change in the way that the public feels. I will say I I like it, again, coming from the, the animal education side of things. I like to see that. And then, like I mentioned too, let's let's talk about the lifespan, Casey, because I do think okay. that that's important. That is one that you'll hear about too. So people will talk about their lifespan under human care versus in the wild. My understanding, and you can, with the studies that you've looked at, uh, maybe educate me on this, but that it has improved over the years under human care. So I think these days we could say that longevity is comparable between the wild and in captivity, but also keeping in mind those caveats about how data can be spun. I was actually, um, I I am pretty ignorant of the subject of uh, orca lifespans in human care. I was more interested in the wild. Mm-hmm. I think because a lot of the claims that I have seen out there about how long, like comparing the captive to the wild lifespan has been that orcas live to be 90 and that, (laughs) you know, they typically live to be X, Y, Z. And I've also encountered this just with any species in human care where people will try and talk about comparative lifespans of different species in human care versus in the wild. There have been some studies that have come out that have done like meta-analysis of mammal lifespans that have found in general mammals live longer in human care conditions than in the wild, but there are some exceptions. I'm sure cetaceans are on that list of exceptions as far as like living longer in human care versus in the wild. But I was interested, so I looked it up about in the wild, and basically they said that 
what you have to first take into account is the initial mortality. Right. The first year for an animal is extremely dangerous. Like the it is very difficult. Like that's where you see most mortality for animals is in that first year. Something's wrong with the baby, something's wrong with the maternal care, something happens, they pass away. Um, and in orcas, that's really, really hard to study because it's all based on sighting. <laughs> but with smaller populations like the residents, it's a little bit easier. Once they reach maturity for, for orcas, this is where they started sort of using this data. Once they hit reproductive age, female orcas typically have a really, really high survival rate. And then orcas, interestingly, go through reproductive senescence. So that means that they mm-hmm. basically go through menopause and they yes. don't reproduce anymore. And there's lots of theories about why that is. I really like the grandmother theory, which is basically that instead of introducing more individuals into the population to compete with their grown offspring who are having their own babies they're there to help guide the the pod because they're matrilineal but after they do hit reproductive senescence their mortality rate increases significantly um and so that's where they started extrapolating the data to get about uh 50 years for females as their average life expectancy so about like 50 percent of females would die before 50 percent of females will die after um and then 90 is, I think, a guesstimate about how long they can live. Does that track with what you're saying? I know I just talked about yes. the paragraph. Yeah, okay, cool. I think so. And I, I mean, I think that is kind of what Noah had on theirs as well with the females. I don't remember what if their verbiage was averaged around 50. Right. It's considered generally median life expectancy. Yeah, but could live up to at least 90. Yeah. So I think that that is, it's just an important thing as you, if this is something that you're interested in looking at, it's an argument that comes up a lot. And so I do think that that background, all of what you just said, Casey, is really just important to realize when people are trying to use that as a statistic either way to talk about these animals in human care versus in the wild. I think let's go ahead, if you're okay, Casey, let's talk about Toki here. And then I think within that, this discussion, other things will will come up. So Toki in particular, we've already said that she was taken from the wild. Even this was something that I had trouble finding consistent information as far as exactly when she was taken. I believe she was taken from the wild in the late 60s. I don't know exactly when. And then she came to the Miami Seaquarium in 1970, is my understanding, and has been there ever since. She was one of lots of whales. I had one source that said 45. Did you... Yeah, other. I I've heard that or higher. Basically, around the '60s, that southern resident population was about 150 whales, and so they might have taken 45, but they also might have ended up killing other whales in the process of taking them. And I think like this is an important point where like we're trying to be very factually based here, but like I I just want to like that this was horrific. Like what based on what we know about orca family structure awful (laughs) i don't think that there's anyone other than like a teeny sliver of the population today who's like this is something we should still do i think there's more people who might say well there were benefits to the aftermath of of that of connecting the public to the orcas but i don't i don't know that there's a lot of people being like 
you know what? Go ahead and 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 swoop them up again. This is good. Like you, you also see the word like kidnapped and things like that applied here. But I mean, I've seen some video of it. It's it's awful. And I think this is a point where yes, people, no matter what I was reading, who what commentary I was reading, people talking about this situation, everybody could agree that this should not have happened. It is wrong that she is was taken right. from the wild in the first place. And now and the discrepancies come from, well, what do we what are we gonna do about that now? But yeah, so this was a terrible and she's the only one of that group of whales that was taken from the wild that is still alive. And also, it should be noted that the population of Southern residents has basically never recovered from this point. Yeah, these are, again, long-lived, slow-reproducing animals, and we've talked about that with other species in the past on the podcast as well. That mm-hmm. makes it even more challenging to recover on top of all of the other threats that all this the other population challenges. is facing in the wild. But they have tracked that like inbreeding is a problem for this population, and you talked about it earlier. The residents have a different lifestyle than the mm-hmm. transients. So you're not going to see like, well, if orcas are everywhere, why don't they just, you know, come in and and intermingle that way? That's not as simple as it sounds. Right. So Toki has been living at the Miami Seaquarium since 1970. 53 years? Yep. That sounds right. She was retired from performing in 2022. Now, initially, when I came across this, I just thought, okay, she was retired. And then the more that I read, apparently, this was actually just due to a change in the USDA license. That's basically the USDA after a USDA inspection. They said, you are no longer permitted to show her. So that was interesting to me that that wasn't initially how I had seen it presented. Uh, Another interesting thing that came across was that she had another orca with her for the first 10 years or so of living at Miami Seaquarium. The other orca passed away. Now, I saw some things that said that she'd been living by herself. She has not had another orca with her now in like 40 years. She does have either one or two Pacific white-sided dolphins in her tank with her. But she has been without another orca for 40 years. There are also issues that come up related to her tank size, which might be the USDA issue that lost the license to show her. Again, I'm not sure. It's all a little bit hazy with what I look at. But there were multiple things cited on USDA reports at Miami Sea Aquarium, some related to other animals, but also related to Toki in terms of her tank size. In 2021, there was a USDA report that included things like feeding bad fish, having diet cut, poor water quality issues, and a number of things associated with this aquarium. I I think I have a couple like side points on here. Um, typically, I have and you have worked with many, many people who take care of animals. My husband takes care of animals for a living. This is typically almost exclusively not the malice of anyone at the base level care Correct. interacting with her. Anyone who is taking care of her, more likely than not, 
cares more deeply about that animal than you can possibly imagine. Things like tank size, diet cuts often have to do with higher level budgetary company-wide decisions, not the people who are actually enacting them. Um, I was frustrated because I was finding a lot of information and I couldn't verify it from a lot of animal rights or even just Toki specific groups about how big exactly her tank was. And I wanted Miami Seaquarium's side of it and I could not find it. I could not find press releases from Miami Sea Aquarium about her welfare. And I mean, maybe I'm not digging far enough, but I shouldn't have to go past the first two pages of Google to find when I type in Miami Sea Aquarium <laughs> Toki uh, tie. Like I shouldn't have to go that far. They should have transparency about it. So instead I'm I'm very much working off the word of others based on what all of these other other folks are saying who have a vested interest in getting her out of there. Yeah. And I I definitely want to chime in on the point about people taking care of these animals because I think that is one of the challenges that I have with this discussion is there are sometimes folks who do not want these animals to be under the care of people vilify the people taking care of them. And just far and away, the vast, vast majority of people who work in animal care are there because they are just so incredibly passionate about these animals and they give up time with their families to take care of their animals. They go to conferences and continuing education for their entire career to keep learning more, to keep bettering the care that they give these animals. They are oftentimes extremely passionate about and committed to conservation of their wild counterparts uh, as well. So that is the thing that I struggle with. And that's the thing that I struggle with even talking about this too, because like I said, I don't work there. I've never been there. I can see these USDA reports that have been put online, and I have a lot of questions about them, but I cannot get the other side either. I can't, I cannot fully understand or grasp what was going on at this time. In the midst of all of this, the park did change ownership as well. And I'm not honestly quite even sure where that falls in the timeline with some of these things that are happening. But there were multiple issues cited in a USDA report in 2021. Uh, In 2022, going back to Toki in particular, she had about with an unspecified acute illness and a health and wellness assessment was completed by marine mammal veterinarians that are not affiliated with Miami Seaquarium. So this was done partially at least through uh, a group dedicated to Toki, basically, I don't not, not I don't want to say a fan group, an advocacy group, a group of people who care for this animal uh, in particular. So friends of Toki and the new ownership of the Miami Seaquarium are allowed this external veterinary team to do a health and wellness assessment and this is still going on monthly so there are actually continued monthly i just saw today that the march one has been put up now so there are monthly updates that you can find if you want to know how toki is doing right now they're fairly vague and the past few months have been pretty consistent uh, saying more or less the same thing which is that 
she seems like she's mostly stable, but they're still just continuing this treatment for her various symptoms. But you can find that online. And again, all of this will be linked in the show notes. So that's kind of a quick overview of what has been going on with Toki. And now we come to the recent headlines of the past couple of weeks that this company that owns the Miami Seaquarium is partnering with a philanthropist, actually the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, who is going to be putting up money for her return to the North Pacific waters where she came from. This would be in the form of at least at first in a sea pen, so basically an enclosed space in the ocean waters where theoretically she would be able to at least communicate audibly with the other whales in the area and then and still have care, veterinary team, care team, all of that monitoring her health, and then eventually, ideally a return to open water. There's just so much (laughs) that we could say about this. But obviously, you've got folks like Casey, you mentioned in the headlines that are like, oh, she's going to be free. And it's a victory for animals and that this is the best thing that could happen. But you may have also seen subsequent to that, some folks speaking out and saying that they do not think that this is what should happen. And I mentioned that there are things that I can see on both ends of this. So let's talk through some of that. Just ignoring some other things that we're going to talk about, what positives do I see, in my opinion, that could come from moving this whale? And I think the top thing for me in that column right now is that her living conditions right now seem to be less than ideal. Again, for some, I shouldn't even say that. They are less than ideal based on everything that we've talked about. I think that's safe to say, even not having been there, they're less than ideal. She is living by herself, that if if no other reason. Uh, you know, she's by herself. She is in a tank that is apparently smaller than what is required. And I have lots of questions about those USDA reports that came out in 2021. So that to me is the top mark in this column if you were going to argue for moving her. My sister brought up a a good point and we can get more into it in a moment but she she was like I uh this is one, she said this is one of those things I've decided I have no opinion about because I don't have enough information and I was like mm-hmm. that's such a good way of handling something you don't mm-hmm. know. Let me tell you my complicated thoughts about it. And one of her questions was so are they releasing her because of conservation because a lot of zoos will do that and i said no this is specifically a welfare related sort of well i should say welfare related argument yeah but i do think that there's a certain amount of like pat ourselves on the back emotional that i think is why they're doing well they're doing it now now i'm yeah now maybe that's opinion (laughs) but if i I don't think what i'm seeing that's why the company yes. is doing it. I think the argument that you can make with this is a welfare related. I argument. think that the people who have been advocating for this to happen for a long time 
are making the welfare related. I'm sure they're also making a generalized ethics of cetaceans in captivity argument as well. But for this particular whale, and I'm going to, this is from the Salish school, seaschool.org, because it is the place that I could find this information. They estimate that her tank size is 80 feet across and 20 feet deep. And she is 22 feet long. Yeah. It is not as deep as she is long. It is small. Um, so yes, and also in my opinion, but I think that overall, if you were to picture what that looks like, that's not a big enough space for that animal. Yeah. And the other thing that I could come up with that fit on on this side uh, or in this column for me is that doing this, going through this with her might allow us to learn more about the use of sea pens and how to handle cetaceans in human care down the line. Might this change things for us in the future? Because one of the things that starts to flip over into the other column for me is I don't really understand sea pens. And there are not really sea pens, as far as I can tell, of the type that they are talking about in existence for use. So this hasn't really been done like this successfully. So if we want to talk about why she shouldn't be moved, or I'll say it differently, why this particular move shouldn't happen in terms of reintroducing her to that space, I just feel like it's too big of a risk. So if you are familiar with Free Willy and Keiko, the whale that was Willy in the movie, Keiko did get released back into the wild. And I read a little bit about this. Several things that I read said that this was not successful. You will find people who say that this was a successful release. Basically, Keiko was also in substandard living conditions. Like really bad, like tap water, pouring bags of salt in Mexico City in a tank where his fins touched the floor. Like objectively bad. Yeah. So he got moved to, I I can't remember where they moved him. They started, um, they moved him first to Oregon. They they started in a sea pen off of Oregon. Um, He had a lot of skin issues. He was underweight when he was in Mexico City. Yeah. He had to sort of be rehabilitated and get his strength up. And, and I think he was there for a couple of years where they were able to basically do that to rehabilitate him like health wise. Like they were able to, yeah. to resolve his skin issues. They were able to he put on like a thousand pounds um, and they were trying to acclimate him to to hunt. Mm-hmm. And th- then they moved him to Iceland. Because that's where they originally thought that he had been captured from. Um, So that's why they're not talking about moving Toki to Iceland. That's where Keiko was from. But ultimately, Keiko did not really reacclimate. He didn't really hunt. He did not really spend time with other whales. He would follow boats around looking for food. And, and ultimately, he died of acute pneumonia. And that's not to say, we we just talked about Toki being sick. Animals get sick in the wild. Animals get sick in human care. So that is obviously a sad way for it to end. He didn't live a long life and then die of pneumonia. He died of pneumonia 
in about a year after release. So I feel like that is also in, in that was life. that was in wider release. In wider yes. release, yes, not the C pen yeah. situation right, right out into wider. Release. So some people do argue that well, at least he died in better condition than where he was living. Yes. So that's I think why some people will say that it was successful because he was taken from a place that as we said was objectively bad but to me that's that's not the point if the point was you wanting to get him back to a place where he lived successfully in the wild then this was not a successful thing because he did not he did not get to become part of a whale pod again. Right. And I think that that's sort of a standard we have to really look at. Right. Yeah. He he didn't do what you dream of free Willie doing. Right. And, like <laughs> going out and being free in the wild. And I've heard this argument of better to die free than like live in captivity. Uh, that's a, a decision you're making on behalf of another being. And we can't ask them what they want right it's you know if we could communicate with keiko maybe he would have been like hey oregon was great i could have just stayed <laughs> there in the sea pen where i was still around all these people but i was you know putting on weight i agree he shouldn't have stayed in mexico city and like some scientists were saying he probably would have died even faster in mexico city in that particular enclosure because he was not doing well but yeah to to the way that the public i think imagines this toki release happening has not been successfully done before. I did, I was wondering, because you see that argument a lot, as like, no, it didn't go well for Keiko. So I was like, have we ever done this with cetaceans before? Sarah, did you see anything about that? With other cetaceans? Uh, no, I have I found other things about cetaceans in sea pens, but this was a very different right. thing when I actually got to look at it. These were talking about animals that had been caught I think probably to be held to sell or whatever in very small, small sea pens, not anything like what they're talking about setting up for Toki. And then they got released within a matter of months. These animals were were saved, basically, and ordered to be released. And they were successfully released after a very short period of time and never actually really have been taken away from the open water so i read about that i don't yeah, know yeah yeah well i've seen you... a couple compilations of of successful quote-unquote cetacean releases i saw the same sort of like bottlenose dolphins pilot whales things like that um i saw the same similar thing where like the maximum number of years on a lot of these lists that, that any of them were in captivity were like four years most of them though it was like a couple months there was not information on these lists about how old the animal was when they were originally taken out of the wild. I think that's a big part of this conversation is if Toki was taken when she was still a baby, does she have the skills? Like, will she remember what it's actually like versus if you captured an adult dolphin, kept him in even just a pool for you know, a year and let him back out in the wild. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. He could probably figure, he knows, yeah, what, he to knows what to do yeah. versus we took a baby out of the wild and sent them back. It seems like in a lot of these cases, there ha weirdly to me, <laughs> wasn't a lot of follow up. They were like, and then we let them go. 
Yeah. And then we don't know really what yep. happened or we saw them again one time and we assume they're doing well because no one has found their bodies. But like we know that less than 50 percent of cetaceans wash up on shore when they die. So I, I found that weird because there is such momentum behind releasing all of these cetaceans out into the wild that we don't have data on things that have actually happened. I felt that way so many times preparing for this episode. There was so much that I was like, we should have more information for how passionate people are about this subject in general. We should have more data about welfare under human care. We should have more data about reintroductions and things like that. There were so many moments during trying to prepare for this episode that I felt that exact same way. But yeah, this is a huge thing to think about. Toki is an older whale based on, again, those lifespan ranges that we talked about. She's in her 50s, this whale. So, and it has been a long time. It has been a long time that she has not been in the ocean. It's been a long time that she has been without another orca. So who knows how well she would be able to reacclimate. It's unknown whether the air- whales in this area would recognize her and know her. That's part of the hope, right? And if you read some of these headlines or even reading through some of the articles, there's this swimming off into the sunset moment that people are trying to envision with her being reunited with her family. And the reality is we just don't know. And I'm going to come back to that point in just another moment, too. Another thing that is challenging to me about this decision to move her is that with her age and with her health, there are so many opportunities for something to go wrong in just the transport part of this. She's going to the opposite coast and, you know, animals are moved between zoos that is a thing that happens and i've been at facilities when animals have arrived and it's that is an adjustment period for a healthy animal to have to go through going to a very much more sort of quote-unquote managed like routine a situation this is a whale that has lived in the same place for almost all of her life to send her across the country it's just a hard thing for me to think about. I'm not like, she, it, it might go fine and that's what we want, but we can't pretend that transport isn't a stressful situation for these animals because we can't tell them. She doesn't know where she's going. Yeah, I think that that is, that's a big challenge for me because I I don't necessarily, the more research I did about this, the more that I felt like had this decision been made 20, 30, 40 years ago, Mm-hmm. I think people who maybe are I I I want to be nuanced about this because I think that another gut reaction as someone who has worked in a zoo before is that I have a gut reaction of people saying that the wild is inherently a better place for a captive animal as as wanting to refute that because I know so many animals that that is not the case for but I don't want to make a blanket statement to say that this this could never happen this will never work I just don't know that this individual animal is a good candidate for proving that it would work 
knowing now more about her current conditions, I also can't make the argument that she should stay where she is because I don't think that's also the right move. But it it it's hard to say that, like, I, I think the per- public perception is different maybe from the people who are trying to actually make this happen. That is different from the people who are making the financial decisions to allow this to happen mm-hmm. that are different from the people who are caring for her. Like, there's a lot of gray area in between. Yeah. And I think you summarized my feelings right there nicely, too. It's not that I'm 100% opposed to anything like this ever happening. I just don't think that this whale at this time is the best thing. I do think that the enormous amount of money that this whole thing would cost in an ideal world would instead go to improving her current circumstances. I don't think that that seems like that is anything that would ever happen. But I do want to just go back to for a moment. Well, and this kind of ties into why I don't think she should be moved and why I don't want to just come down on this aquarium with with never having been there. These things in the USDA report should all be addressed. I hope and I think that they are being addressed. I also hope and feel and believe based on animal care folks that I've worked with in the past, again, not knowing any of these specifically there, that the people that directly care for her do literally care for her very much and are going to do their best, even though her tank is small, even though she doesn't have another orca with her, they are going to be there for her and they are going to they're the ones that are making sure she gets medicated. They're the ones that are making sure that she gets fed. They're the ones that are communicating how she's doing to all of these veterinarians, both the Seaquarium vets and these now external vets that are visiting. They know her routine. They are hopefully giving her appropriate enrichment as much as they can. It's hard even for me sometimes to go see marine mammals in a pool, like I like watching them from above, going underneath is always hard just because there's nothing there. But but it is important to remember when that happens that we don't see their care team who are trying to do their best with training and enrichment and all of that um, to keep them engaged, even when we're not always seeing them. I would say it's a little yes. bit of a tangent, but I wanted to mention it. Yes, but <laughs> I do feel like it would be disingenuous to argue, and I don't. This is not what I think you're arguing, but uh, disingenuous to argue that we don't make compromises in caring for wild animals, quote unquote, exotic mm-hmm. species in human care. Anytime we design oh. an enclosure, I think if yeah. any any person who is caring for an animal, a zookeeper, is envisioning their dream enclosure. It, it doesn't exist and it probably can't exist. So even yeah. if it, even if money was no object, even if space was no object, which are the two biggest things that I would say are the problem, um, yeah. <laughs> you have to be able to care for that animal in that space. If they're on exhibit, guests should probably be able to see them at some point. But maybe even if you don't care about that, how are you going to clean them? How are you going to make sure that yeah. if something goes wrong, you can get to them? All of these things have to be put into place. I do think that why it feels so visible for marine mammals is because you are taking them out of the water and you are putting them yes. on land. And we have not done a really good job replicating what their natural habitat looks yes. like. 
that actually was exactly what I was trying to get at and just not doing a good job of it. But yeah, I think that's, that's why I was saying I like, I have such a hard time looking at them from underneath because it's barren. We, we cannot, we cannot replicate their wild habitat and we can't do it for any animal. No. As you were saying, but we can come closer. (laughs) It's easier land animal to land animal it's so much easier i i don't think that we can replicate the ocean well for these animals and that's a hard and thing there's there's see. good like arguments that i've heard from people about why we don't have more complex things mm-hmm. these animals are really smart they do break yep. everything <laughs> like, yep. it has to do with safety yeah. it has to do with cleaning yes. as you mentioned and the water quality and all of that uh, yeah, yeah, but it is. But is it that's worth a trade-off. it? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the question that we should be asking mm-hmm. in every situation. We can ask it as a blanket question, but like in every individual situation, and I think that's where we're at with Toki is that in this individual situation, it seems pretty clear that what she has is not what we would want her to have. Right, but is it given the state that she's in now and the age that she is? Is it? the best we can do given the way that her life has played yeah. out i think you know that's that's, that's the really real question. the question yeah. that, that we're asking ourselves and then i do just want to take a moment to to address some other things that we've kind of touched on regarding how this story has been presented a lot too and why you just have to take these headlines with a grain of salt because again we've already mentioned they're sort of talking about putting her back in her home with her family. One of the things that I was seeing a lot was that she's going to be able to rejoin her mother and talk about an emotional like gut punch right there. Her mother may or may not be alive. Again, as far as I can tell, and it is hard to be certain with some of this information, but the whale that they believe to be or could be her mother was spotted as recently as last year i saw in in 2022 but they don't the at least the article that i was reading said there's no evidence that this is her mother it's just widely assumed yeah i <laughs> this is her i mother. could not find like because that was my question yeah. i was reading about returning her to her mother and i was like how do they know who her mother is so Right. Also, I don't know if we do. Also, I, I don't know. We're giving them credit for being so smart. Imagine like this equivalency within humans. If you've been a- apart from human relationships for 30 plus years, like Toki has from orca relationships, the ease of that interaction is not necessarily like a given. It's not like she's going to be like, yeah. I'm a well-socialized orca. Like she's n- not. Um, She might be good at it but we don't know will she still have that same dialect would they recognize each other these are questions again i'm not saying they wouldn't i just don't know if they would or not so that's one thing to just keep in mind as you're reading this and i also don't think that this is a done deal it's not (laughs) yet finding a site to build a safe pen preparing toki You know, all of those things that we talked about with Keiko having to, you know, put on the weight and all of that. This is a whale that's not 100% healthy right now. These are huge steps. And just to put it in some perspective, 
Casey, do you remember when the National Aquarium announced that they would be putting their dolphins into sea pens? Yeah, I actually looked this up weirdly like a month ago because really? well, I'm, I'm pretty close to the National Aquarium. Like yeah. we would go sometimes when I was a kid and I remember their dolphin show. And then I remember when they didn't have them and they were like, we're moving them out into a sea pen. And I was like, that's awesome. And then it was like, <laughs> that's that's all the information. Yeah. And again, I thought that this was really cool. Again, you know, without any grand judgment on keeping dolphins in human care at all, I was just like, hey, that's a pretty cool thing if we can do that. You know, I think that that would be really neat. And I think what felt different about it, too, is that they weren't talking about, like, one geriatric animal rejoining the wild. They were. It felt like they were talking about our pod, who are socialized and bonded, moving out into a larger, more complex more naturalistic space and that all felt really good yeah but basically so that was in 2016 which is crazy to me that it was that long ago that was in 2016 when they said they were going to do that and they haven't even found a site yet let alone built anything and i this is not a knock on them because i think they should be you know going being very careful about this and and taking time but this is just the reality of the situation that they have not been able to find a spot that they feel like is going is in good condition would be safe from environmental threats and that sort of thing it just has not worked out there was an npr article that came out in 2020 that said of the more than 50 sites that the national aquarium has surveyed so far not one has been deemed safe enough from things like fierce storms algal blooms both projected to worsen as temperatures rise. The last update that the National Aquarium has on their site was posted in September of 2020. It's a cool post. They were talking about some of the ways that they're preparing their dolphins. They're working on sort of that cooperation piece and, and problem solving together and getting them used to some of the things that they would see theoretically, in this sea pen environment, like floating docks and that sort of thing. So it was a cool read to read about some of the ways that they're working with those dolphins. And I think, honestly, that's probably providing them some pretty cool enrichment in their current lives as well. But all of that to say, you know, they were, I think some of the articles were talking about like 18 to 24 months for this to happen. And right now I just don't necessarily oh, you mean see that even... Release? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 18 to 24 months with the timeline that they were giving. Yeah. And and I mean, like, I've also seen people be like, they don't have a plan. There are No, there are actually plans out there. There's like some detailed plans that people have about like analyzing her welfare and her current situation, trying to figure out what she needs. Um, but like you said, selecting a site, it's not like a tiny thing to do. <laughs> it's kind right. of a whole thing. And they, I mean, for better or for worse, maybe this is helpful that they, I think, have a pretty specific area that they're going to be looking in but anyway so there's a lot that needs to happen there and then the other thing is as far as and i can tell this has not yet been approved by noah again going back to noah's website the the, noah says the marine mammal protection act allows marine mammals to be held for public display purposes including importing marine mammals or moving them from the wild for public display noaa fisheries has jurisdiction over cetaceans which is our dolphins porpoises and whales and pinnipeds seals and sea lions but excluding walruses the u.s fish and wildlife service has ju- jurisdiction over all other marine mammal species so noaa fisheries basically what that's saying is that noaa fisheries has jurisdiction over whales 
in human care. Back in 2015, remember we talked about that was when they NOAA issued their ruling on actually including Toki in that population of endangered southern re- southern resident orcas. They put out an FAQ in conjunction with that decision, and there were a couple of questions that I thought were relevant to this situation. One of them was, can NOAA fisheries require the Seek Aquarium to release Tokite to the wild? Their response was no. At this time, which is in 2015, the Miami Sea Aquarium has not submitted a proposal to move or release Tokite. Any such proposal would include rigorous review by the scientific community, the Marine Mammal Commission, and the public, and be subject to an associated National Environmentally Policy Act analysis. I did not look into all of those things, but to me, just the fact that they were saying there's there would have to be a rigorous review of this plan is the thing to keep in mind there. Uh, yeah, the National Environmental Policy Act was is, is basically a uh, statute that any government action has to um, undergo a analysis about how it would impact the environment. So they would also have to determine that this was the right thing for the orcas in the area too. Which leads us to the next question as well, which is, would Tokite survive in the wild? What's NOAA Fisheries' stance on her release to the wild? Again, this is from back in 2015. Their response was, release of captive animals could involve risks including disease transmission, ability of released animals to adequately forage, social integration, and behavioral patterns developed in captivity that could affect the behavior of wild animals. Based on our extensive research on this species, we are concerned about any experimental release and the potential impacts to the endangered southern resident killer whale population in the wild. That was their response in 2015. So given all of that, it's just really hard for me to see this become a reality for better or for worse i just it feels like there's a lot that has to happen and so i'm frustrated for a lot of reasons uh that i don't know if i'll be able to all put into words right now but i'm i'm frustrated for her situation i'm frustrated because i don't like the way that people talk about this a lot and so i hope folks have found this discussion helpful and not antagonistic because it's certainly not not meant to be uh we're just trying to sort of clarify things as as best as we can um but i i'm frustrated about the way that it's presented i'm i'm frustrated about the way that this got put out there all over the place so quickly with to me leaving out some really important things yeah (laughs) i agree i think uh, and probably because facebook's algorithm is like you like animals here you go Mm -hmm. i've seen basically every headline that has come out from a major news network from like npr to people magazine you know (laughs) in between about this and i agree i think that like the kind of succinct way that they're like oh well they've decided they're gonna let her go and so that one makes it feel like that's the only barrier that has ever been in place to ending orcas in human care as some people would like them to just they can just go back out in the wild why don't you try that um it takes away a lot of the nuances for this particular animal i think when we have these discussions 
I think I a little bit of two minds about it. I think for the public, this feels like a tangible good deed that they get to like say we did it like humans were able to do the right thing for this animal whether or not that's true that it it hits that emotion spot for them for me personally I feel frustrated that we have trouble extending this level of empathy and intensity to their wild counterparts who are endangered. I felt this way really strongly with the Harambe incident that happened. People were outraged about this one individual gorilla and gorillas are killed all the time by humans horrifically in their native habitat. And this, you know, Southern resident killer whales are endangered and it's a really hard, complicated problem to solve, which is why I think that maybe leaning on this particular release feels better than trying to tackle the systemic issues like chemical spills and and pollution and inbreeding from historic decimations of populations that we can't really control but that is what actually would make a much bigger difference because Toki's just one and there's so many right. that need our help well said this has been a long one i i feel like there has still been so much left unsaid in this grander scheme we'll have to talk more about some of these these topics in the future i do just want to say obviously we care very much about toki and we want the best for her i care very much about the folks in the animal care industry i have friends who are marine mammal trainers and i know the commitment and skill and dedication and the love that they have for their animals and their their wild counterparts and i'm so appreciative of them and their hard work and their knowledge and all of that. And I understand that folks who don't work with these animals care about them too. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that there are so many people that care about this whale, even if we have trouble seeing things the same way sometimes. And to, to your point, yes, I hope, I, I would love to see us be able to harness some of this and have it carry over to whales in the wild too and their conservation. And I think that, I mean, we're former educators. This is what we did was try and connect the animals in human care to the plight of their wild counterparts and try and make people feel empowered to do something about it. And uh, this whole conversation has come down to this one whale. So it just bums me out a little bit that that we can't yeah. have the wider conversation at the same time. All right, boy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was really long. I, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know what I need right now. Uh, I need a hug or something. But uh, we really appreciate you sticking with us through this one. Maybe maybe you got through it in a in a couple of listens. But do stick around for one more moment, and we'll try to wrap things up and give you some challenges for the week. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Like we said from the outset, this is a complicated issue with a lot of people wanting to do what's best for the animal, just not always seeing eye to eye on what that is. And unfortunately, 
it being harder than we would like to get good, accurate information and not having as much knowledge on the issue as we would like to. So it's a tough one and there's a lot to it. So a few things to challenge yourself on for this week. We've talked about this one before, but do read by beyond the headlines. Read some articles. If something sounds funny to you, question it. Try to find out a little more and be kind to each other. <laughs> Try to remember that a lot of people are coming at this with similar motivations. And I don't think that we're going to get anywhere by yelling at each other and insulting each other. So do some research, be kind to each other while you're doing it. And last but definitely not least, support the conservation of whales in the wild. In particular, you can read about southern resident whales, this population that Toki is a part of, and see what you can do to help support that particular population. If you live on the west coast of the United States, NOAA's website has a list of organizations that you could volunteer for or get involved in. No matter where you live, they have information about things that you can do wherever you are, whether that's to use your voice or to do things, again, something that we've talked about before on this podcast, making sure that you're looking for sustainable seafood. We talk about how food is an issue for some of these whales. So if you're feeling frustrated or sad or not knowing how to think or just overwhelmed by listening to all of this, that would be my recommendation to you is check out that website, see what you can do to support whales in the wild. Thanks, Sarah. I think I'm like a little scared of this topic and I appreciate you putting together what I think was a very constructive conversation between two people who feel multiple ways about this situation. <laughs> so hopefully it was useful to you guys. If they want to reach us, Sarah, where can they reach us? We are on Facebook. You can find us at A Little Greener Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. You can find us on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. Or you can email us at A Little Greener Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We may or may not be on next week. So uh, if we don't see you, don't freak out. It's it's just a, a potentially planned absence. We'll definitely talk to you at least in two weeks, if not next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.